So I want you to take your Bibles out and turn with me to the incredibly poetic and inspirationally deep passage of Psalms chapter 19. Mm -mm. That will not work. (laughs) So so, listen, I'm going to preach a word that God has for you today. And I'm going to preach until... uh, um, I can't preach anymore because my voice is giving out and I'm going to spit. I'm going to shout. So I'm glad we got some people on the first road today. You might need to get an umbrella. I, I, I do want to say this. Let me give you an opportunity to redeem yourself. Turn with me to Psalms chapter 19. Here we are in week number two of this series playlist. How many of you have a playlist on your God phone, uh, your iPhone? That's God phone, God's phone, by the way. You know, somebody told me the other day, well, you know, the apple on the back represents sin. And I said, no, the apple on the back represents grace because, you know, Adam and Eve took a bite of the apple and therefore now there's a piece gone, which remi- reminds us that even though we're broken, God is with us. Hello. That has nothing to do with the iPhone, but I was just, you know, don't leave here saying that Pastor Mark was, you know, pushing the iPhone. Let me bring all this back. Um, So you've got a playlist. You have a playlist. Those go-to songs. Like if you're exercising, you have a playlist. If you're you're worshiping, you have a playlist. If if it's Valentine's, you have that playlist that go-to songs from the 80s. Rain it in here at night. You know, there was a playlist 3,500 years ago. A worship playlist that God put together for us. It's called the book of Psalms. In fact, 3,500 years ago, these Psalms were actually songs that were written so that the people would have an intimate, deeper worship, a deeper connection with with God. That's why the Psalms were actually written. So if if there was a playlist back in the day, if if they had a boombox back in the day, boombox back in the day, these songs were on their cassettes. Now, if you're younger than the age of 30, you probably don't know what a cassette is. A cassette is one of these little rectangular things that has tape in it, and it just kind of swirls when the music's playing. Um, how else can I explain this? Um, it's a little archaic for you. Uh, so if you're younger than the age of 30, just consult Wikipedia. You'll get it. But there was a playlist that was there, and pointed us in the direction of of God. In fact, Psalms chapter 19 was one of the go-to songs for David. If he wanted to worship, this was a song that he had written for worshiping the beauty of God's creation. You see, he's pointing us in one direction, but but this psalm is so deep that, that beneath the surface there's this undercurrent of things that are happening. He's pointing us in this direction, but yet there are all types of other things that are going on that, that are building the platform, if you will, of Psalms 19. So what I want to do with you today, I want to read a part of the narrative with you. Not all of it, just part of it. We'll eventually get to all of it, but I want to read parts of it without offering any commentary as we get started. Is that okay? Is that okay? So if you've got your Bibles, Psalms chapter 19, say amen. So here is David writing this beautiful ballad to God, this worship song to God that is drawing our eyes towards God's divine nature. Here's what he says in verse 1. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies, they proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. Okay, I have to offer some context here. I I can't fight the urge any any longer of what David is trying to say here, Eric. This is just in my spirit because even C.S. Lewis wrote about this passage of Scripture. He said that this is the most poetic lyric in all the world. Why? Look what he says next in in verses 3 and 4. It says, 
There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun. Verse 5, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion. Hang on a second. Just go back to verse 1. Go back to verse 1. Let me show you something. Verse 1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. Circle that. The heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. David is drawing our attention to the divine nature of God's creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. Now, you need to understand that this song was actually sung every night as the sun would set in order to praise God for the splendidness of His creation. So what David is doing in Psalm chapter 19 is he's actually drawing this visual image, if you will, for the reader, for for us thousands of years later, that, that God has this representation of His glory throughout creation. The heavens and the earth declare your glory. It's like I had this image of David sitting in his chariot sitting out looking at the setting sun as it was coming down over the mountain range. And as the sun kissed the horizon, he pulled out his pencil and he wrote, The heavens declare your glory. The skies proclaim your goodness. The heavens declare your glory. It's like if you've ever been on a beach and you've watched the sunrise. And when you watch the sunrise, automatically you say, Wow, there has to be a God. The heavens declare His glory. Or if you go to the Grand Canyon and you're at the base of the Grand Canyon and you just look out and you're like, wow, there has to be a God. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Hello. You see, that's the beauty of where David is going. However, let me flip this for a moment because David is also saying some other things that are not so visible. You see, it's easy for us to declare the glory of God when we see creation. Because it's obvious. The works of His hands. But sometimes it's not so easy for us to see God at work in our problems. Sometimes it's not so easy to declare that God is at work in your situation because it's not so obvious when you're going through all hell on earth. We can see His creation. We know that the heavens are declaring His glory, but when it comes to my problems, I can't really see it. I see the details of creation, but not the details of His Word coming true in my life. How many of you have been there? You know what I'm talking about. You see, He's drawing our attention to the beauty of of God in in, in how He's created the heavens and the earth. And and what He's saying to us is that we tend to have this this problem with our eyesight. We we begin to, to look at what's not happening as opposed to what is happening. But if God is the creator of the heavens and the earth, He is also the creator of every detail in your life. And even though it may seem like He's a long ways off, He's closer than you think. It's what I call the side view mirror syndrome. When you leave today and you get in your car, look in the passenger side view mirror, you'll see this little phrase at the bottom of the mirror that said objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. You see, when David writes the book of Psalms, he's looking at his life. He's reflecting upon his life. He's looking in reverse and he's seeing all of the things that God has done. And he's now saying the heavens and the earth declare your glory But he's also thinking about, well, there have been times in my life earlier on, God, that I was going through this and you didn't show up. And I was wondering if you even heard my cry, if you were even going to show up, even, even show up with all of this. God, are you missing what's happening in my life? But as David got older and now that he's beginning to look back on his life, he realizes that God was there with him all along. That God saved him from this and he didn't even realize it because it wasn't so obvious when he was going through the difficulty that God provided and he didn't even see it that God shielded him from that and he didn't even notice it because he was so focused on the calamity of the problem it's easy for us to realize the obvious divine nature of God in creation but sometimes we miss the less than obvious things that he's doing in our everyday life hello in fact look what David writes in verse 5 watch this 
Verse 5 and 6 says, Which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and it makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Hold on a second. He's talking about the sun, but, but there's also a hidden meaning. He's saying that there is nothing that is hidden from the warmth of God's touch. Every detail in life is there. You see, the heavens will cry out and declare glory, but so will I because I need to declare the glory of God because He's been at work in my life. In fact, I wasn't going to take you to this place just for the sake of time, but I need to take you there. Flip with me over to Psalms chapter 3, just six chapters before Psalms 9. David writes Psalms chapter 3 in an earlier period in his life, and I think it kind of shows you what I'm talking about. David writes this. He says, O Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? It's like, God, do you see what's happening in my life? God, are you aware of my surroundings? How, how many? God. Are you, are you aware of what's happening in my checkbook? Are you aware of what's happening in my career? Are you aware of what's happening in my marriage? Are you aware, God? And, and then he goes on to say, Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and you lift up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud and He answers me from His holy hill. All of a sudden, His, his, his voice changes. His, his script changes. He realizes, hold on, God is with me. And then look down to verse 8. Verse 8 says, from the Lord comes deliverance. All of a sudden, David is saying, you're with me. You've always been with me. You'll never leave me nor forsake me. It reminds me of Psalms chapter 23 then when he says though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will not fear why because you are with me you are for me you are here right now you see what he's saying to us is the same hand that fashioned the heavens and the earth is the same hand that fashioned his joy it's the same hand that fashioned his peace it's the same hand that fashioned his encouragement it's the same hand that fashioned his salvation it's the same hand that fashioned his restoration so if the heavens can declare His glory, so can I. It's closer. Closer than it appears. You see, I, I have to think when David's writing this, is it possible that David is showing us that the power of God will become more visible in our lives when we praise? Mm, think about that. The power of God will become more visible in our lives when we praise. When we praise God in spite of what's going on. The power of God, hello, let that resonate with you, will become more visible in our lives when we praise. You see, David is not saying praise God just because of the creation of, of his hand, the divine nature of his hand. David is also saying praise God because not only is he the creator of the heavens and the earth, which we ought to declare glory for him doing that, but he is also giving us a promise that his presence will be with us. Mm. In fact, Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10, you have to see this. It's going to be on the screens. Write it down. You can look it up when you get home. But Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, it says this. So do not fear. This is God talking. For, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed. For I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Are, are you grabbing this? I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So look, look at it again. So do not fear. For I, why? Why not fear? Because I am with you. Do not be dismayed. For I am your God and I will strengthen you and I will help you and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The same righteous right hand that is upholding you is the same hand that created the heavens and the earth. It's the same hand that fashions His love. It's the same hand that fashions His joy. It's the same hand. Listen, we could close this thing down right now and have an altar call because what He's saying is His peace is closer than you think. His love is closer than you think. His joy is closer than you think his 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 means in your life is closer than you think his provision in your walk is closer than you think his salvation is closer than you think closer than you think closer than you think and if the heavens will declare his glory so am i i think i'm preaching better than you're responding 
However, I've gotten ahead of myself. I've preempted my organizational structure here. So can I go ahead and give you thought number one? Thought number one is, is, is this. Go ahead and write this down. Thought number one is his power, in parentheses, anointing. His power, his anointing, will enable me to accomplish my purpose. Ooh, that's good. His power and his anointing will enable me to accomplish his purpose. In fact, this morning I had several other options that I was thinking about for, for thought number one. Can, can I go ahead and give you those? Can I go ahead and give you those? The back part says yes. Everybody else is like, I'm asleep. By the way, you look great on Valentine's Day. What an awesome crowd who's fighting the cold outside for a little bit of Jesus on the inside. Woo, yeah. So, 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 so here's the other thoughts that I wrote down in connection to his power enables us, his anointing enables us to accomplish my purpose. I, I wrote, thank you, Daniel. I wrote this. It says, his power that is at, that his power that is at work in me fuels me through what's around me. Pretty good. I got several of these. His anointing empowers me to accomplish what he has assigned to me. Can I get an amen? Here's another, and this is, I'm not going to read all of them. I'm just going to read this last one because this is where I want to focus. His anointing, his anointing enables me to see his closeness. So let me cut into this a little bit and let me set this text up for you. Because theologians are all over the place when it comes to Psalms chapter 19. They're not sure exactly when, where, and why David wrote this. Most of them agree as to what the, the psalm is about. It's actually a psalm of reflection that was written later in his life. So we know that David is probably an old man and he's looking back over his life and he's reflecting on all of the things that God has done and he's sitting there looking at this beautiful sunset and he sees that the heavens and the earth declare his glory. But as he's watching the sunset, he's also thinking about, you know, this is an obvious declaration of the glory of God. But there have been other not so obvious declarations in my life that prove the divine nature of God's hand at work. Isn't that beautiful? You see, this psalm is written really into three parts. We're going to talk about these three parts in an abstract way. If you're taking notes, you need to write this down. By the way, all note takers have a special place in heaven. You're, you're really close to Jesus if you're taking notes. I'm just, just saying. All right, verses 1 through 6 is talking about um, God's handiwork. We'll call it the heavens. This psalm, 14 verses, is broken into three categories. The next is verses 7 through 11, which is talking about the power of God's word. And then verses 12 through 14 is, is talking about the MMA, not mixed martial arts, but Monday morning application. It's the inventory list. It's the application of this passage of Scripture. So, so I'm going to get into those things, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But let me just say, here's David reflecting on his life as an old man, looking back and seeing God at work. You know, when Absalom, his son, was trying to overthrow him, and they were having this civil war, you know that he was thinking, God, during the time, where are you at? I'm having this battle of my life, and... Now that he's older, he looks back on it and he sees that God was there all along. And when he was standing in front of Saul, and Saul had become his enemy. He was probably at the time that that was going on wondering, God, where are you at in all this stuff? But now that he's older, he realizes that God was there all the while. And he's thinking about all the battles that he's gone through, all of the difficulties. He's thinking about the mistake that he made with Bathsheba. And he was thinking, God had to have fled from me then. But when he looks back over his life, he realizes that even though he made a mess, God turned it into a message. He realizes that God was always there. You see, here's the deal. We tend to take our eyes off of the beauty of Christ when problems come into our life. 
And what he's saying to us is that so many times we allow what our eyes are seeing to outweigh what our heart is saying. Mm. So many times we unplug from the power of God because of the pressure of life. Sometimes when we're walking the road of life, we forget that he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. Sometimes we lose focus of our way as we're walking, even though God is with us all of the way. That is really the first message. I'm I'm preaching two messages, by the way, so don't even look at your watch. Praise the Lord. We're going to be here till three. Um, That's the first message. The second message is somewhat loosely connected to the first message. It's not directly connected, so I have to take some liberties with it. Here's the deal. If, if David is reflecting on his life, he's probably looking at all stages of his life. I cannot look at all stages of his life. So I want to look at one period of his life, which is in 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Turn there if you've got your Bibles. I know you have your Bibles because I heard them a while ago. So 1 Samuel chapter 16. Here you have, here you have Samuel. God has come to Samuel, and he's told Samuel, Samuel, I want you to go, and I want you to anoint the new king. He doesn't give him his name. He just says, I want you to anoint the new king. Because Saul has been disobedient, I want you to go and find the new king. Now, here's the deal. David, we know from history, it tells us that he's going to be the next king. So basically, Samuel is going to anoint David. Now, before today is over, I want you to understand the power of anointing. It's a deep word. It's a churchy word. It's a word that sometimes we don't fully understand, but I want to educate you on the process of anointing. Before you leave, you'll understand what anointing means, not only for David, but also for your life. So here is Samuel being told by God to go and to anoint David. Here we go. Verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him? As king over Israel. He says, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be the king. Two things worth mentioning in this verse and then we'll move on. Number one, he says, fill your horn with oil. Fill your horn with oil. It's probably a hollowed out ram's horn that's, that's, that's full of oil, has a cork in the end of it. The purpose of the oil is when God chooses someone in the Old Testament, you would uncork that that horn of oil and you would pour that oil all over that person's head. Basically, it's saying that God has chosen you. He's empowered you. Now he's enabling you to accomplish his purpose for your life. You're chosen. That's the horn of oil. That's the anointing. That's the way it was in the Old Testament. But there's also a second thought in this passage of Scripture that's right after fill your horn It says, and be on your way. Circle that. This is important. I don't know why God is doing this in this service. But be on your way. Be on your way. It's speaking to Samuel and and to us, telling us that we've got to move on. God's a progressive God. We've got to move on into the future. Be on your way. Be on your way. Some of you need to let go of some old things so that God can do some new things. Be on your way. Your way. Get to moving. You've got to let go of fear so that you can live in faith. You've got to let go of problems so that you can live in victory. You've got to let go of the past so that you can live for your future. Be on your way. Be on your way. God's word is a God of, his word is a word of movement. It's be on your way. So then in, in verse 2, look what it says in verse 2. I want you to see this. Verse 2 says, but Samuel said, how can I go? Because Saul will hear about it and he'll kill me. How, how, how? Aren't we always consumed with the how? Think about it. How can, how can I go? How can I go? But, but, but look, I, I think the next verse is somewhat comical because, or the next part of this verse is somewhat comical because look what the Lord says. The Lord said, okay, if he's going to kill you, here's what I want you to do. The Lord said, take a heifer with you. Some of you don't know what a heifer is. I'm not going to offer any context there. It might be an 80s song. Just look it up. Take a heifer with you. Get that girl ready. Just kidding. It's not there. That's not there. Don't look in the Bible. It's not there. He said, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. 
Verse 3, it says, invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one that I indicate. Look, look I love verse 3 because verse 3 shows us that God has a plan and God's plan always has a purpose. He said, go, you don't know what to do, but I'm going to show you what to do and I'm going to indicate for you the one that you need to anoint. God's plan has a purpose. He's saying, I want you to go and I want you to anoint and I want you to pour the oil on the head of the one that I indicate for, for you. This anointing thing is, is very unique. In fact, to anoint in the Old Testament, it actually means, and we've already started to talk about it, you take the horn of oil and you pour it on the person's head, and once you anoint that person with oil, basically what it means, here's the definition, it means that God has chosen you for a certain responsibility, and he's given you the favor to accomplish it. It's pretty good. God has chosen you for a certain responsibility, and he's given you the favor to accomplish it. So in the Old Testament, they would drench you from head to toe with this oil. It meant you're the chosen one. You have a responsibility, but God has also favored you. He's empowered you. He's enabled you to accomplish it. So the more that I thought about the Old Testament thought of anointing, I began to think about the New Testament. John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. You've got to see this. It's going to be on the screens. Here's Jesus talking about how anointing works in the New Testament. He says this, Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you. And he will be with you forever. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of truth. The, word cannot, or the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Hold on a second. So in the Old Testament, Samuel had to anoint. He had to take the cork off of the horn. He had to pour all of the oil on David's head. But in the New Testament, Jesus said, you don't, have to have, you don't have to have Samuel chasing you down with the horn of oil. You have me who's chasing you down because I've gone back to heaven and I've sent the Holy Spirit into your life to anoint you so that you can accomplish everything that I have set out for you to accomplish. I don't have to have David or, or Samuel pouring the oil on top of my head. All I have to do is just get connected with the Holy Spirit because as a Christ follower, he's saying you're anointed with the Holy Spirit. Listen, here's the deal. I want you to grab this before we go any further. I have what it takes. You have what it takes. That's what the anointing is. I have what it takes because I am anointed. I have what it takes because I am anointed. That's what's happening here. That's what Jesus is saying in John chapter 14. You have what it takes because you are anointed. Everybody in here, I want you to say, I have what it takes. Again. Again, louder. Louder. Why? Because I'm anointed. Say it again. Because I'm anointed. Because I'm anointed. Because I'm anointed. Loud. Now that you're out of unison, let me tell you what's going on here. So what Jesus is saying, look back at verse 17. Put verse 17 back up. You've got to see this. You've got to see this. Verse 17 of, of John. It says, the spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. Now here's the catch. But you know him as Christ followers, for he lives with you, and he will be in you. You see, I don't need the oil poured on top of me because the Holy Spirit is in me. If Jesus Christ is in me, the Holy Spirit is in me. And therefore, I can, I'm unable to do everything that God wants me to do. I have the same anointing that David had, the same anointing that Jesus promised I possess. So all I have to do is get closer to him. All I have to do is reign in with him because he will give me the ability to accomplish my message or my mission he'll give me that ability listen you've got to tie this into where you're at you're anointed as a father you're anointed as a husband you're anointed as a wife you're anointed as an employer you're anointed as an employee you're anointed as a student you're anointed as a soldier you're anointed as a business person you have what it takes you have what it you don't have to wait on the oil being poured out upon you because Jesus Christ is in you which means that all of the objects of his faith are 
all of the objects of his word are in you. His peace is closer than you think. His joy is closer than you think. His anointing is all in your life. His provision is all over you. Why? So all I want to do is get closer to God and allow him to pour his anointing into me because it's Christ in me that enables me to accomplish my mission in life. Good Lord, have mercy. What has a preacher got to do to get you to your feet? How? Show. So here he is, reflecting upon his life. David's looking back, and saying, all I've got to do is rest in the anointing that he's poured upon my head. All you have to do is rest in the anointing that he's placed in your heart and in your life. But David, when he looks at this sunset or sunrise, whichever it is, he's looking at it and he thinks to himself, not only have I seen the physical sunrise on a daily basis, but moment by moment, I feel the spiritual sunrise in my life and in my heart. You see, here's the deal. Maybe the visible stimulation, the visible things in your life do not look like picturesque sunrises or clouds with bonbons. Maybe it it looks horrible. Maybe it looks warlike. Maybe it looks like chaos. What I'm here to tell you is that it is Christ in you, the Holy Spirit upon you, that will enable you to rise above the visible things in your life so that you can connect with the objects of God's Word, His peace, His faith, His hope, His joy, His encouragement, so that you will be able to do all that He's called you to do good lord have mercy there's a shadow back there i was high-fiving wow i thought how can i how can i illustrate this for you So, so can i bring you on the inside of my life for a minute can i do that can i be transparent with you One of the many responsibilities that I have as a pastor is to stand on this stage. be perfectly honest with you, it's one of my least favorite. But I know that God has called me to do it, but but I, I need to kind of bring you in on the inside of how this actually happens in my life. You see, I very rarely stay in the moment of what God's done in this service beyond pretty early this afternoon. In other words, I'll preach a word and I'll go down and stand in my seat. Whoever's closing out the service, I'm like, God, you showed up. People gave their hearts to you. Lives were changed. People were restored. God, you showed up today. And God, in spite of me, you showed up. Listen, let me just say this to you. It's not because of me. Because I don't have what it takes to stand on this stage in and of myself. It's because of the anointing of God in me. I'm only the communicator. He's the message. It's the message that changes you. It's not the communicator. Hello? So once the service is over and we hug necks and we all go our separate ways, I I, I contemplate and ponder today very briefly. But by this afternoon, my mind's already gone to next week. And all throughout the week, I'm already thinking about next Sunday. God the specific word that you have for your people. And I I grab any spare moment that I have during the week to read and to research and to be in his word. And God, I need to hear you and to pray. Speak to me, God. I'm all over the place. And then here's the thing. The flesh begins to creep in and I begin to think, you know what? This week needs to be better than than last week. And and, and next week needs to even be better than than this week. And and this series needs to be better than the last series. And if this series is not better than the last series, it's really a failure. And the next series needs to be better than this series and this and that. And let me tell you something. It will drive you absolutely crazy until I come to the realization and have come to the realization that it's not about me it's about him it's about his anointing in me all I have to do is be obedient and give to you what he's given to me and then he does the rest do you see how this works so go back with me uh, first Samuel Wherever we're at. Verse 4. 1 Samuel chapter 16 verse 4. It says, Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town, they trembled when they met him. They asked, do, do you come? Do you, do, 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 do you come in peace? They trembled, so I was just trembling. In verse 5, Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and 
come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them into the sacrifice. Verse 6, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, the oldest son of Jesse. And he stood up and he said, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. And then look at verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, slapped him on the back of the head, and he said, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Verse 8, Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Verse 10, Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Verse 11, he says, so he asked Jesse, are these all of the sons that you have? Hold on a second. Look what he says. Part B of 11. He says, there there, there is still the youngest, Jesse said, but he's just out tending sheep. He's just out tending sheep. He's not even invited to the party. He has another son. He has an eighth son. And that eighth son didn't even make the cut. Wow. He didn't even get invited to this deal. He's out. Can you imagine if you were David reflecting upon this situation in your life? He didn't even get invited. But can I tell you something that you need to understand? It doesn't matter what anyone says about you or to you. Or how anyone values your life, whether you're worthy or worthless, it doesn't matter. Because when you're anointed, God will elevate you over that. Look at the rest of 11. Samuel said, send for him. Because he will not sit, we will not sit down until he arrives. Now, I, I want you to grab this. Here is David who didn't even make the cut to get to the party. He didn't even get an invitation. He sends now for him. I said, I want you to go and get him. And we're not even going to sit down. We're going to wait until he gets here. Now David is being pursued as the honor, as the person of honor at this banquet. Isn't that how God works? He wasn't even invited, but now God said, elevate elevated him and now he's being pursued as the guest of honor go and get him and we're going to wait right here you see i have to think that david reflecting upon this situation sitting in his chariot looking at the sunrise or the sunset he has to be thinking to himself you know there were times in life when i may have been deemed invisible but with god i'm always valuable mm. Somebody needs to hear that in this place today. You see, because I I truly believe that there's, sometimes in our life there's this thing that we feel like there's absolutely no way that God can use us because this thing in our lives causes us to be unworthy. Let me tell you something. God will use that thing to bring about the presentation of his glory for all of mankind to see. Listen, let me tell you that again. Let me use it this way. You're a vessel. God will use that thing as a vessel, as a vessel to bring about the representation of his glory. God will use that thing. Let me just be perfectly honest with you without going into the details. I was told years ago, you don't have what it takes to be a pastor. You don't have the talents. You don't have the skill set. You don't have the heart for it. You don't have it. Your life's too messed up. You can't go into the ministry. That will never be. That will never work for you. Had I listened to that, rather than grabbing hold of the anointing that God had placed upon my life, I would not be living God's mission for my life, but rather I would be off course because of somebody else's silly word over my life. Hello? So you see, your life may be a mess, but let me tell you something. Your life may be broken, but let me tell you something. Your life may be a wreck, but God will take the mess and he'll turn it into a beautiful message. God will take the brokenness and he'll turn it into wholeness. God will take the problems in your life and grant to you victory. God will take the insecurities and give you a life of hope. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is in me and he's closer than you think. He's closer than you think. He's closer than you think. So here's verse 12. Let's pick it up. we got to keep moving. Some of you are looking at me like, let's keep moving. No, amen's there. Okay. Verse 12. So he sent, had him brought in. 
Watch this. It says, he was Rudy with a fine appearance. Let me read it up here because I'm not sure how it says it up here. It says, so he sent for him and he had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. And then the Lord said, rise and anoint this one. Rise. He's the one. Rise and anoint him. Now, now I want you to grab this. He says, look, it says he was glowing with health and he had fine appearance and handsome features. At first, this confused me. Because in verse 7, when Eliab walked in, it was like a Jerry Maguire moment. It was like Samuel was Renee Zellweger and, you know, Eliab was... Jerry Maguire and, and, and Samuel was like oh, shut up you had me at hello this has got to be the one but he was not and the Bible says it was because God doesn't look at the outer appearance he looks at the heart but yet right here he says that he had a fine appearance that he was handsome in nature so, so what's the difference here let me tell you what the difference is he's saying that God sees things differently than we see things and that it's, that it's not bad to have a good appearance. It's not a bad thing. But it's not the only thing. You see, Eliab and all of his brothers, they had the appearance. But they didn't have the heart. They didn't have the calling. They were not chosen. You see, some of you are trying to operate in an area that you're not anointed to operate in. And you're wondering why you have confusion and chaos in your life. You see, David had the appearance, but David also had the heart. Now, this is prophetic for some of you because some of you have the appearance of a Christ follower, but on the inside, you're missing some ingredients. Some of you have the appearance of a person who's gotten it all together, but on the inside, there's something that's missing. Some of you have the appearance of a good father or a good mother, but if you were to ask your kids, they would say that there's something that's missing. Let's move on. It goes on to say this. Verse 13. It says, So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And watch this. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Keep it there. And it says he was anointed. The oil was poured upon his head. He was chosen. He was the anointed one. Now God has said, you've got responsibility, but I'm giving to you favor. But watch this. And it says, and from that day on, circle this, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. That does not mean that two days out of seven, he's going to have the power of God. Four days out of seven, he's going to have the power of God. Every other day, he's going to have the power of God. No, it means that every day, the power of God, the power of God's anointing was in his life. It does not mean that he's going to have a life that's like a, a walk through the tulip garden. No, he had problems and difficulties, but the power of God was with him. It was closer than it appeared when he was in difficulties in his life. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. Now, here's where it gets difficult. you got to grab this. Just because David's anointed, just because you're anointed, doesn't mean immediately. I'm trying to give you some sound effects. That immediately you're going to be elevated. It's not what it means. Oh, I've been anointed. Now I'll go to the sweet spot. No. Because I want you to see something. Look down in chapter 16, verse 19. I want you to see where David's at. David is dripping with oil. In fact, David, when David was anointed, David was, was 13 years old or less. Somewhere between maybe 10 and 13 years old. In other words, David had no facial hair. David hadn't hit puberty. David was talking like this. But now, we don't know how much later it is in David's life. We're, we're not sure. It, it could be a, a, a couple of years. It, it could be four years. It, it could be, you know, two years. We, we don't know. It's, we know that it's a short period of time, but, but it could be as long as a few years. But, but look what happens. It says, then Saul sent messengers. He's dripping with oil now. Here's, here's, I'm anointed the king. Saul sent messengers. Saul is the current king. He sent messengers to Jesse, who is David's father, and said, send your son David. David could play the harp. Send your son David, who is with the sheep. 
hold on a second. He's been anointed to be the king. And he's still hanging out with the sheep. God, you anointed me. I shouldn't be dealing with all this sheep stuff. God, you anointed me. Why am I dealing with all this junk? Listen, just because you've been anointed does not mean you're going to be elevated immediately. Just because you've received an anointing does not mean you're going to have a new job. Just because you've been anointed does not mean you're going to have a new wife. Just because you've been anointed does not mean you're going to have financial blessing at that moment. Let me tell you why. Because if you're not using the anointing that God gave you in your current assignment, He is not going to give you a bigger or better assignment. You see, David was in the field tending the sheep. He was dealing with the sheep. If David couldn't deal with the problems of the sheep, how is David going to deal with the problems of the people? You see, people say to me all the time, they'll say, you know, Pastor Mark, I, man, I'd love to be a pastor one day. And that's cool. I, I'd love to, to preach like you on that stage. I, I'd love that. Well, listen, I, I'm honored. But, but let me tell you something. This stage doesn't bring me my anointing. This stage has nothing to do with my anointing. It's everything that I've done that precedes this stage because I was honorable with the anointing that God gave me in the little things. And when I passed that assignment, He gave me a bigger one. When I passed that assignment, I worked on growing my anointing and growing my anointing and growing my anointing until I'm standing before you today. I can rub all over this stage and this stage will not anoint me. It's what I've done preceding this stage that brings God's anointing in my life. be in your notes only part of it in fact let me just read it the way it's probably going to be in your notes so there's no confusion because I added something to it this morning it says by the way before I read it let me again add this if you want to be a pastor can, can, can I tell you how to start growing your anointing start pastoring those people that are around you right now if you want to preach one day Start preaching to those people who are close to you right now. Start seeing your friends saved. Start inviting them to church. Start growing your anointing by cultivating a walk with Christ that will show others that you care about them. Are you with me? Hello? Okay. So, so I wrote this down. It says, there's a field of preparation that proceeds or that precedes the promise of purpose. Think about this. And then I'll finish reading it. David it's in the field with the sheep. There's a field of preparation. David's in the field with the sheep. Now, now here's, there's a field of preparation that precedes the promise of purpose. Now, here's what I wrote this morning. You want to write this down. Your ultimate purpose is never realized if you try to avoid the journey through the field of preparation. That's good. Let me say that again. Your ultimate purpose is never realized if you try to avoid the journey through the field of preparation. Because grab this, David's in the field. He's tending sheep. He's been anointed. The oil's dripping from his chin. But what is David doing? David has got his sling in that field. And he's watching the sheep. And all of a sudden, he's practicing with this sling. And then a lion jumps out and he kills the lion. And then a bear jumps out and he kills the bear. You see, he was growing his anointing in the field of preparation. It was the same anointing that enabled David to stand in front of Goliath and kill Goliath. It was the same anointing that enabled David to stand in front of Saul and to make it through. It was the same anointing that enabled David to stand in front of his enemies. It was the same anointing that enabled David to be the greatest king. It was the same anointing that enabled David to write Psalms chapter 19. It was the same anointing that enabled David to write Psalm 19. But here's the deal. David didn't go from the horn of oil with Samuel to Psalm chapter 19 overnight. 
there was fields of preparation all the way through and he was willing to grow his anointing which ultimately enabled him to write the heavens declare your glory so do I so how do we grow our anointing how do we grow our anointing I'm running out of time so I'm going to go ahead and close it Here, here's how you grow your anointing look at verses 8 through 11 you got to see this actually verses 7 through 11 look at verses 7 through 11 you got to see this it says the law of the Lord is perfect he's talking about the second feature the power of God's word you want to grow your anointing the law of the Lord is perfect refreshing the soul the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy making wise the simple look at verse 8 the precepts of the Lord are right giving joy to the heart in other words it's direction now it's joy look the commands of the Lord are radiant giving light to the eyes mm, look at the next verse the fear of the Lord is pure enduring forever the decrees of the Lord are firm and all of them are righteous verse 10 they are more precious than gold than much pure gold they are sweeter than honey than honey that comes from the honeycomb but look at verse 11 by them your servant is warned in keeping them there is great reward everybody say great reward when I'm in the Word of God, there is great reward. That's the second thought. Just go ahead and write it down. If you've got your notes, just write it down. It says this, the resources of God's Word brings me great reward. I'm greatly rewarded through the resources of His Word. I'm greatly rewarded, hold on a second, through the resources of His Word. Oh, hold on, He's closer than it appears. He's closer than it appears. He's closer. I'm rewarded. I'm rewarded. I'm rewarded. Now now look at verses 12 through 14. you got to see this. You don't want to miss this. This is where it all comes together. It says, But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. This is the Monday morning application. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of any transgressions. Look at verse 14. Watch this. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Hold on a second. Hold on. Are you grabbing this? I don't know if you are, but there's great reward. Hold on. Here we go. There's great reward. There's great reward if I'm walking in his anointing, if I'm hanging out in his word. But he's given us the antidote for life. I don't even know if you've caught this yet or not. He's given us the antidote in the heavens. Look, what he's saying in verses 1 through 6 is that we look up. What he's saying in verses 7 through 11 is that we look at. What he's saying in verses 12 through 14 is that we look in. You see, when I begin to look up, when I begin to praise him, when I begin to look at his word, when I begin to look inside of my heart, his anointing in my life begins to grow so that I can accomplish all of the things that he wants me to accomplish. Why? Because his anointing is in me. It's Christ in me. It's the Holy Spirit upon me. It's Christ in me that enables me to have the strength. You see, what he's saying is, what he's saying is have more, desire more. All we need is a fire that is set up in our soul that I cannot contain, that I cannot control. Come on.